Daniel. Daniel. When I say the name Daniel to you this morning, what immediately pops into your mind? What do you immediately think about first? Well, if you're, if you're like a lot of folks who are familiar with the Bible, when you hear the name Daniel, the first thing that probably pops into your mind is this right here. It is Daniel being delivered by God from a ferocious pit of lions. You see, like the stories of Noah and the ark and the story of Jonah and the belly of a fish and David versus Goliath, the story of Daniel and the lion's den is one of those stories that is a foundational story of the Bible. It's a story that we start teaching our kids pretty quick. It is one of those stories that a lot of people are familiar with, and it contains so many powerful lessons. For example, in this story, there are powerful lessons about God and his power. And there are lessons about the need to trust God and have faith in God. And there are also lessons about how God protects his people and about the need to have a habitual prayer life. David being saved by God from a den of lions. It's one of the most amazing and well-known stories in all the Bible, but I submit that for many people, they seem to forget that when Daniel was in this lion's den so many years ago, he wasn't a small child. He wasn't a teenager or even a young adult. Instead, the Bible makes it very clear that Daniel was old. Daniel was seasoned. Daniel may have been about 85 or 90 years old. You see, Daniel lived through the entire Babylonian captivity. In fact, when the book of Daniel opens up, the 70 years of captivity for the people of Judah have just begun. About 600 years prior to the birth of our Lord, the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, began besieging Jerusalem and taking many of the Jews captive. Daniel was likely a teenager at this time, and he is among the finest and the brightest Hebrew young people who are taken into captivity. In fact, in addition to Daniel being taken into Babylonian captivity, the Bible tells us also in Daniel chapter 1 and verse number 6 that three of his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they were also taken as prisoners. All of these boys were selected by the king himself to be educated for three years and to be trained to become one of his advisors. And the question is, how are they going to cope? How was, how was Daniel going to cope? How was Daniel going to get through all of the challenges that were attached with living as a young person who was in captivity in the kingdom of Babylon? For example, how was Daniel, how was Daniel as a young person going to deal with the challenge of not compromising? Of not compromising his faith, of not compromising his godly principles and his religion and the standard that God had for his life. This is something that I really want our young people this morning to think about. I want you to think about these questions this morning, young people. And as you do that, turn on your Bible to Daniel chapter 1. You know, for members of the Lord's Church, for many members of the Lord's Church, we're, we're familiar with Daniel 6, obviously. 
We're familiar with Daniel 6 and how there we find one of the most well-known stories in all the Bible. We read about the time when God delivered Daniel from that den of lions. That's something we start teaching our kids pretty quick. And then we're also familiar with Daniel 2, right? We know about Daniel chapter 2. We know that in Daniel 2, Daniel, under inspiration of the Spirit, he predicts when the Lord was going to establish his kingdom or when the Lord was going to establish that everlasting church, that kingdom that would never be destroyed. We know those chapters. We're familiar with those chapters. And I want to suggest that Daniel 1 is just as important as those chapters. In fact, Daniel 1 may even be more important than those chapters. Daniel 1 may be one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible. And so notice the time marker, the history that is given to us as we begin this book. In Daniel chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, we find the history, the historical background. And it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And here is some key language in the text. Key language in the text. The Lord gave. Notice the Lord's involved here. And the people of Judah are very wicked at this time. The king is wicked, and the Lord is going to give them over to these heathens. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. So notice how the things of God are now going into the things, into the places of idolatry. The things of God are now going to the heathens. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from that wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated for three years and at the end of which they were to enter into the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them and to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar and to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach and to Azariah. Abednego. So I want you to notice how the book of Daniel opens up. Notice how the book of Daniel doesn't open up. It doesn't begin with Daniel in the den of lions. It doesn't begin with this well-known story, the story from Daniel 6 that we're, that we're very familiar with. Instead, this book begins not towards the end of Daniel's life, but kind of towards the beginning. It begins with him going into captivity. It begins with him going into Babylonian captivity. It begins with him being taken away from his family as a young person and from his society, from his culture and from his country and from his way of life. And he's going to be trained and educated in the ways of a heathen nation. Now, for all of our young people here this morning and here, we got a lot of young people like Brother Gary prayed about. We got a lot of wonderful young people here in this church and for our young people here today. I want you to do something for me. I want you to imagine going through this. I want you to imagine that you're Daniel. I want you to imagine that the country, the state, 
and the community in which you live is invaded by a foreign hostile nation, a foreign enemy, and you're taken away from your family. You're taken away from your mother, from your father, your grandparents, your siblings, your friends, your country where you enjoy so many luxuries and freedoms every single day, and you're transported to a place you've never been before. You're transported maybe to Russia or China or Iran or Afghanistan. You're transported to a place where everything is different. The language is different. The culture is different. The laws are different. The religion is different. Everything about this place is different. And for all you know, you're going to be there for the rest of your life. You're never going to see your family again. I want you to imagine going through something like that because that's exactly what Daniel went through. That's exactly what he went through so long ago. According to these verses, as a young person, Daniel was taken away from his family and from his friends and from his culture and country, and he was transported to Babylon. He was taken to Babylon so he could learn how to become an advisor to the king of Babylon. That required him being trained and educated in the ways of the Babylonians. That required him going to school. He had to go to school. He had to learn a bunch of stuff. He had to learn their literature. He had to learn their language. He probably had to learn things like mathematics and astronomy and physics. And he had to be immersed in their culture and in their way of thinking. You see, we got to understand that the Babylonians in ancient times, the Babylonians at this time were not only a ruthless and powerful people, but they were also very educated people. They were also a very sophisticated people who had a high level of intelligence and a high level of thinking. In fact, in addition to being required to being educated in the ways of the Babylonians, notice how Daniel also was going to have to change his diet. He was going to have to change his menu. He was going to have to now eat the things that King Nebuchadnezzar ordered him to eat. Now, that was going to be a problem for a guy like Daniel. That was going to be a problem for a man who's a Hebrew and a servant of God like Daniel, because in the law of God, the Hebrew people couldn't just eat anything they wanted. They, they couldn't just eat anything that was that was in front of them. The law of Moses specifically said what God allowed them to eat and what God did not allow them to eat. In fact, when it came to the things that God even allowed them to eat, God even had specific instructions about how they were to kill and cook that stuff. God was very strict with the menu of his people. And the question is, what's Daniel going to do? How is Daniel going to respond to this situation? I mean, this is, a, this is a serious situation here. We don't need to get so familiar with the story that we don't understand how serious this is. This is suspenseful if you're reading it for the first time. If Daniel doesn't eat what Nebuchadnezzar puts in front of him. He could be killed. He could be murdered. Could have his head cut off. But if he does eat it, well, he's going to compromise. He's going to compromise his faith. He's going to compromise his love and his devotion to God. While in Babylon, Daniel faced the challenge of not compromising his faith, but not only did he face the challenge of not compromising. Secondly, 
he also faced the challenge of not losing his identity. Not losing his identity. Not losing his identity as a Hebrew. You see, as a Hebrew born under the law of Moses, we got to understand that it was a big deal for Daniel to be a physical descendant of the patriarchs. It was a big deal for Daniel to be a descendant of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You see, being a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob meant that he was born into the family of God. It meant that he was a legitimate Hebrew. He had Hebrew parents. He spoke the Hebrew language. He was born in the Hebrews' land. He had a Hebrew name, and he worshiped and served the one true and living God. He was a Hebrew all the way, but upon arriving in Babylon, notice how the Babylonians, one of their first missions is to strip him of that. They want to strip him of his identity. They want to strip him of who he is at his core. This can be seen not only in their forcing upon him their way of education and their way of eating, but it also can be seen in how they changed his name. Did you notice that? Going back to the text, verse 7 says that upon arriving in Babylon, one of the first things that happened is Daniel experienced a name change. Daniel and his friends experienced a name change. The scripture says that Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar, and Hananiah was Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. Now, it's interesting to me how today, how today when we talk about these four guys, when it comes to Daniel, we don't call him by his Babylonian name. I've never heard or I've hardly heard anyone ever say, hey, you ever heard the story of Belteshazzar? We don't call him that. What do we call him? We call him his Hebrew name. We call him Daniel. But for some reason, when it comes to his friends, we don't call him by their Hebrew names. We call him by the Babylonian names, don't we? We call him Shadrach, Meshach, and some people say Abilego and not Abednego. We get their names totally wrong. We don't call them by the names that they were given when they were among their people. Now, I don't know why that is. I don't understand why that is. But let me tell you what I do know. I do know that the changing of the names of these boys was a clear attempt by the Babylonians to change their identity. It was a clear attempt to strip them of who they were while they lived in Judea. And now we want to make these boys Babylonians. You see, a person's name is a big part of their identity. Would you agree with that? That's a big part of who you are. A person's name is a big part of their identity. It's a big part of who they are, where they come from. In the case of the Hebrew people, their names often had significant spiritual, significant spiritual meaning. It had meaning that was connected to what they believed about God and the word of God and, and the promises of God. The Babylonians clearly are trying to change Daniel's identity. They're trying to make him Babylonian. They're trying to get him to fully assimilate. They want him to worship like a Babylonian, eat like a Babylonian, think like a Babylonian, learn like a Babylonian, talk like a Babylonian, even have a Babylonian name. They're trying to take away his identity. And that was a challenge. He faced the challenge of not compromising the, his faith, not losing his identity. But let me give you another thing to think about. He also faced the challenge of not being wise. 
Now, I want you to think about this one with me. Not being wise. Not being wise in a situation that literally was life or death. You see, as a young person, keep in mind he's a teenager, okay? As a young person, Daniel's going to try to figure out. He's going to have to figure out how to wisely navigate through some difficult situations. He's going to have to figure out how to be faithful to his God, how to serve the one true and living God according to God's law, while at the same time not getting his head cut off. He's going to have to figure out how not to defile himself with the king's choice food, while at the same time having a reasonable solution to this dilemma that both he and the overseer, the person over him, can agree on. You see, young people, it's hard enough for you to make important decisions every single day. It's hard enough for you to make wise decisions about how to deal with things at school and on your ball clubs and as you hang out with your friends and on social media. It's hard enough making wise decisions in those kinds of situations, but imagine being Daniel and you got to be wise in a situation where if you're not, you could die. This is life or death here. You can either be killed by the king or you could sin against God. What I want you to see is upon arriving as a captive in Babylon, Daniel faces some challenges. He faces some very tough decisions. He's got to decide what is he going to do with this menu that's been given to him. Is he going to compromise his faith? Or is he going to keep serving the Lord? Is he going to allow the Babylonians to change who he is? Is he going to allow them to change his identity and make him a Babylonian? How is he going to wisely convince the overseer to let him be true to his religion when he could be killed if he and his friends don't look as healthy as the other boys over a period of time, Daniel faces some serious challenges upon arriving among these heathen people. And so let me close by doing this. Let me close by giving you three things, three ways in which Daniel overcame these challenges. How did Daniel overcome these challenges? Let me give you three things very quickly. The first thing is going to be found back in Daniel 1. When you look at verse number eight, young folks, if you like to mark in your Bible like I do, verse eight is a good verse to have marked in your Bible. This is a great verse, and I want you to turn there because I want you to read it with me. I don't want to just quote it to you. You need to see this in your Bible, okay? So in Daniel chapter one and verse eight, after telling us about how Daniel has this dilemma where he has to decide what he's going to do about the king's menu and he experiences a name change, in Daniel 1 and verse 8, the Bible says, this is how Daniel responds, but Daniel made up his mind. Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank, so he saw permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. I want to highlight the language of verse number 8. Notice how when Daniel found himself in this very difficult situation, the first thing he does to overcome these challenges is the Bible says he made up his mind. You see that? He made up his mind. Now, some translations say he purposed in his heart. Other translations even say that Daniel, Daniel resolved. I like that better, don't you? He resolved. He resolved to serve the Lord. 
He resolved to serve God. He resolved to stay true to the word of God. He resolved that he wasn't going to defile himself with the king's choice food. That word resolved that's used there in the text, that's a powerful word. That's a powerful word. That is a word that expresses something about Daniel. It expresses his commitment. It expresses his dedication and his loyalty to God. It expresses that even as a young person, even as a teenager, Daniel made up his mind that he wasn't going to compromise. He wasn't going to compromise his faith. He wasn't going to compromise the standard of God. He wasn't going to compromise doing what he knew was right, even though he was hundreds of miles away from his family and now living in Babylon. Daniel said, I'm going to keep serving God. I'm going to love the Lord. I'm going to keep the Lord's commandments. I'm going to keep keeping God's dietary restrictions. Daniel resolved to serve the Lord. While a long way from his family in Babylon, I'm going to tell y'all something. When I read that in my Bible, when I read that, I'm so encouraged. I'm shocked. I'm amazed. I believe it's so remarkable. I believe it's so remarkable to open up my Bible and see from the Holy Spirit himself that there have been young people who throughout the centuries have resolved to serve God. They've resolved to be obedient to the Lord. Daniel said, I'm going to serve the Lord. He resolved to serve the Lord in Babylon. And remember his three friends? His three friends also made the same commitment in Daniel 3 when they faced a fiery furnace or bow down and serve an idol. They said, no, we're going to serve the Lord. We're not going to worship an idol of the king. And then I'm also reminded of somebody else in my Bible. I'm reminded of Joseph, aren't you? Remember my, my dear friend, Brother Jordan Schaus, my friend Jordan, he was here a few months ago and he gave us a wonderful series in a gospel meeting about Joseph. And Joseph's story is very interesting, especially when you compare it to Daniel's story. I don't know if you ever noticed this or not, but Joseph and Daniel have a lot of similarities in their stories. I mean, both of these boys were young people and they were slaves in a land that was far away from their families. Just like Daniel, Joseph went through that. He was taken away from his family. He was a slave in a foreign heathen land. He was a slave in Egypt. And yet when he had an opportunity to compromise his faith, to have an affair with his master Potiphar's wife, what did he do? Well, he resolved to keep serving God. He resolved to be obedient to the Lord. He said in Genesis 39 and verse number nine to Potiphar's wife, how can I commit this great evil and sin against God. How can I sin against God? You see, when it came to Daniel and Joseph, it didn't matter to them that their parents were a long way away or their grandparents were a long way away. These people, these young men said, no, we're going to serve the Lord no matter what. And here's the question we got to think about. Are we going to be like them? Are we going to be like Daniel? Are we going to be like Joseph? No matter what we go through in our lives, are we going to resolve to serve the Lord? No matter if it means that we're going to lose our job because we're not going to lie on that company report. No matter if it means that 
we're going to have some people get mad at us because we're not going to let them cheat off our test. No matter if it means if our boyfriend or our girlfriend threatens to end that relationship because we're not going to give up our purity. No matter if it means people are going to make fun of us because we don't curse. We don't drink. We don't do drugs. We don't wear immodest clothes like everybody else in this place. No matter what we face with, no matter what challenges come our way, no matter if we can even hide it from our parents or our grandparents or our siblings or our friends, because God knows. Because God sees, because we have faith in God and we're supposed to love God, will we, like Daniel and Joseph, resolve to never compromise the, our faith. Will we resolve to never compromise doing what we know is right? Daniel got through this because he resolved to serve the Lord. He resolved to serve God, but not only did he resolve to serve God, you know what else he did? He also retained his identity. He retained his identity. He understood that while the, the Babylonians could change his name, they couldn't change who he was. They couldn't change his heart. They couldn't change what he believed about God and start forcing him to believe in the false gods of the Babylonians. They couldn't stop him from believing in the power of prayer and in the promises of God and even in God's power to deliver him from lions later on down the line when he became an old man. You see, no matter what bad circumstance Daniel found himself in, he always remembered who he really was. He always remembered how God saw him. He always embraced his true identity as a child of God. And the question is, does that describe us today? Does that describe me and you today? I mean, today as we live in a world that is clearly getting further and further away from God, as Brother Gary prayed about in his prayer, are we embracing who we are? Are we mindful of who we are? Are we mindful of how God sees us? As we live as pilgrims in this world, I want to show you something in your Bible, and I'm going to go through this really quick, okay? I'm thinking about what Jesus said, our Lord Jesus Christ. In John 15, do you remember what Jesus said to his apostles? And by extension, he's speaking to us. He's talking to his people today. And in John, the 15th chapter, in John chapter 15 and verse 18, in John 15 and verse 18, Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Jesus says people are not going to respond very well to how you live. People are not going to respond very well for, to your morality, what you stand for, how you think, what you're all about. Jesus says, no, when you start going through that, I went through it first. I went through it first, Jesus says. Now, Peter has some things to say as well in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in the book of 1 Peter, it's all about suffering. It's all about suffering for the people of God, the people of God going through various trials, which includes persecution. And Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, 1 Peter 2 and verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens, pilgrims, and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they, glory, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Peter says, hey, remember who you are. You're pilgrims. You're strangers. You're not Americans first. You're God's people first. This is not your true home. This is not your true country. Peter says you got to understand that. 
And then in chapter 4, in verse number 16 of the same book, chapter 4 and verse 16, Peter says, But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but he is to glorify God in his name. Notice who we are before we're anything else. Notice how we're Christians before we're anything else. We're Christians before we're Arizonians. We're Christians before we are Americans. We're Christians before we are whatever political party we affiliate with. Peter says, you're a Christian. Being a Christian is our true identity. And a Christian is someone who strives to be like Christ. A Christian is a follower of Christ. A Christian loves Christ, has a relationship with Christ, pledges allegiance with Christ, desires to one day be at home with Christ. That's a Christian. And we're Christians. You see, being a Christian is not about just wearing a name. It's not about just wearing a title. It's not about just even going to church. No, being a Christian is about having, having an identity that is rooted in Jesus Christ. It is about revolving your life around Jesus Christ, trying to be like Jesus Christ in every aspect of your life, trying to be like Jesus in your marriage. Trying to be like Jesus in your parenting, trying to be like Jesus on your job, at school, on your sports team, on social media, when you interact with your friends and your brethren and your co-workers. And when you make daily decisions like Daniel, we got to understand that while we live in this world, we are not of this world. This world's not our real home. We're Christians. We're striving to get with Christ and be like Christ. And so Daniel said, no, I'm going to serve God. And I'm going to retain my identity. You can change my name, but you can't change who I am at my core. And then thirdly, I want to close with this very quickly. Daniel also got through this by being wise. Applying wisdom. I want to talk about this just a little bit. And I want to talk about this by going back to Daniel one more time. One more time, please. And look at Daniel 1, beginning with verse number 9. I want to just start with verse 9. We, we, we read in verse 8 how Daniel resolved not to compromise his faith. And let's see how the Lord responded to that. It said in verse 9, God granted. That's important. That's important. God is with him. God is with him. Do you see that? God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord who has appointed your food and your drink, for why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. So the, the overseer is like, now wait a minute now. Come on, kid, you're you going to get me killed here. But Daniel said to the overseer, keep in mind this is a teenager talking like this. I'm amazed every time I see this. I'm amazed by this. It's a teenager. And Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for 10 days and let them be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. And let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. Verse 14. So he listened. He listened to a teenager. He listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. So here's what I want you to see here. When facing this challenging situation, 
Daniel exercised wisdom. He applied wisdom. He knew what he was dealing with. He knew that Ashpenaz, the overseer, this guy doesn't serve God. I'm not talking to a man who serves God. So you know what that means? I don't need to go to him quoting a bunch of scriptures. I don't need to go to him saying, well, you know what the book of Leviticus says about this. That ain't going to work with him. He doesn't care. This man don't serve God. He's a Babylonian. So Daniel doesn't go to him with a bunch of scriptures. He doesn't go to him being rude and loud and being a troublemaker. Instead of using tactics that were not going to be effective, Daniel wisely and humbly goes to the overseer and he begs him to be reasonable. To be reasonable. He says, let's just try this out. Let's just try it out. I don't want to get you killed. Let's just try it out for a period of time. Let us eat vegetables. Let us drink water. And you come back later and evaluate us. You see what you think. If we're not where we need to be, okay, I'm, I'm wrong about this. But if we're okay with this, let's keep on doing it. It's a win-win for both of us. Daniel displays great trust in God, and he also proposes a wise solution that enables Ashpenaz to keep his life and keep his job, his behavior. Daniel's behavior teaches us that when dealing with unbelievers, when dealing with unbelievers on our job or in the classroom, or on our sports team or in the government, we need to be wise. We need to exercise some good judgment. We need to do what Paul says in Colossians 3 verse 5 and conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders. Whenever we find ourselves in a challenging situation, we need to pause and just ask ourselves, what's the wise thing to do? What would Jesus do? What would Daniel do? Like Daniel, how, do I, how can I work through this situation while at the same time being faithful to God? How can I work through this situation while at the same time not causing a lot of trouble in, in, around me and causing people to blaspheme God, but something that's reasonable and makes sense, and I'm also able to be true to my convictions? That's something we need to pray about. That's something we need to talk to God about. We need to talk to God every single day. We need, when we get up in the morning, we need to ask God to help me have wisdom as I deal with the world in challenging times. What I just want you to see is this old man who refused to stop praying and was delivered by God from a den of lions. He first was a teenager who, upon arriving in Babylon, he refused to compromise his faith. He resolved to serve God. He retained his true identity and he applied wisdom when dealing with unbelievers. He was a remarkable young person who found favor with God. And may our young people continue to be remarkable and find favor with God. In fact, may we all try to be remarkable and find favor with God. And maybe there's somebody here this morning, you say, I don't have favor with God. Maybe there's somebody here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God because you've yet to obey the gospel. We're going to sing a song. We're going to sing a song, give you an opportunity if you need to, to respond to the gospel, whether that means expressing faith and repenting and being baptized for remission of sins, or if you're a Christian and you haven't been living out your true identity, if you need to repent and ask us to pray with you and pray for you.
We'll be more than happy to do that right now as we stand and we sing.